the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We are back in the book of Thessalonians here today on Truth For Today as Pastor Phil Howard gives us a look at a message called Guess Who's Coming? Christ. Join us. Hi there, and welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard who will take us to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We begin a series called Guess Who's Coming, and it is a look at just that, who is coming. Christ is. There's also the Antichrist and a few other passages along the way in 1 Thessalonians that will give us a clear indication of who's coming and when and what kind of hope is held out. Here's Pastor Phil with today's broadcast of Truth For Today. Paul's writing, he got out of Thessalonica. It was a pretty tough going in Acts 17. And he wrote 1 Thessalonians from Corinth, and he writes 2 Thessalonians. And while he's been away, there's been rumors of things he's taught, rumors that uh, maybe the day of the Lord is happening. Maybe we're in the time of tribulation because they were suffering so much. When you're in persecution, you always want to become a post-tribulationist. When you're going through it, your wife or your husband looks like the beast, and you're convinced you are in the trib. And uh, so you get into all this prophetic time setting. But I want us just to look at, uh, we're going to take four messages. Chapter 1, we're going to look at this subject of guess who's coming. In chapter 1, Christ is coming, his second coming. In chapter 2, guess who's coming? Antichrist is coming. And in the midst of this, he takes time to say, in the midst of a coming Christ and a coming Antichrist, in the meantime, God is choosing a people for Christ. And we will look at that in 2.13. Then in chapter 3, we'll be considering what to do until Christ comes back. Are you engaged or disengaged? Uh, Have you found a place just to be Rip Van Winkle in the Christian life? Or are you engaged? Are you staring at stars or are you in the yoke? Because that church, many had become idle, busybodies, disengaged from even employment because they used their prophetic framework as an excuse to be disengaged. And so we'll be looking at the great matter of the Christian's involvement until Christ comes. Let's look at chapter 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. 
First thing he does in prayer is give thanks for the saints. I did not get any further than this than to be rebuked at how little thanksgiving I engage in in thanking God for you. Uh, Sometimes our prayer life, well, you know, uh, uh, I didn't get what I asked for. You see, all of Paul's prayers, he starts out thanking God for the saints. I just ask you, as I ask myself, how often is the first thing on your mind when you kneel, how thankful you are for the Christians you know? Maybe it would help us if we were like Paul, always going to the Gentile pagan world of polytheism, idolatry, and he was always the minority, always planting the church in the midst of an unevangelized, non-Christian culture, just like we in the Bay Area. This is urban missions, if you don't know it or not. We're in an urban mission field. It's not Ghana, but it's West County, and they're just as lost as Ghana. Probably more Christians in Ghana than there is in West County. And so it's something, when you get around enough of the unsaved, you know what easily happens? Especially if you're like pastors and those in Christian work. The only folks we work with all the time are Christians, and they're the main ones that bug the daylights out of us. Because you don't run with the unsaved. You don't know what their world, I mean, we've left that behind And I find that sometimes always being around one another, they could be the source of your irritation. But Paul said, I give thanks over here in Corinth when I think about the people that he saved there in Thessalonica. And I hear three things about you, and I give God thanks for it. Three things, he says. Your faith is growing. Could I thank God for you and say, One thing I love about them, they're growing in the faith. They've got a faith that is growing. And how do you know that? They've learned eight more Bible books or more verses. No, this is a suffering church. They've been under pressure. They've been under suffering. But the reports have come back to me that they keep growing. Pressure does not stunt growth. It promotes growth. And the American way of life is we want utopia and pressure-free living. But God's always designed for his children enough pressure that their faith will grow. And I tell you, idleness has done more to ruin us and success has done more to ruin us than pressure. God knows you need enough pressure so that you need the muscle of faith exercise. He thanks God that their love is increasing for one another. You know, uh, sometimes you could say, um, uh, I'm a Christian, but I'm getting over it. Uh, I I used to love the saints until I got acquainted with them. I was in love with her until I lived with her 10 years. Uh, I'm losing my first love. Matter of fact, Christ used to be everything, but now it's old hat. He's just Jesus. Nothing to get all gooey about. Uh, there's bills to pay, this is divorce, and we don't have time for lip locks and to have sentimentalism about our relationship with God or anybody else. Paul said, I hear you're increasing in your love for one another. I would think so. God started with most all of us as selfish brats that love no one but ourselves. One of the evidences of the work of God in you is you begin to love somebody at least half as much as you love yourself. That is a work of grace. It's a work of the Spirit of God. 
that they, I, I was reading it with Jonathan Edwards who said, those who come to know God have twice the emotional capacity as an unsaved world. You ought to shed twice as many tears, not because you're some having a nervous breakdown, but you get in touch with the emotions of people and life. A whole avenue is opened up to you. People loving. That ought to, you know, it's some people, we don't want them to advertise they come to this church until they act like they're a people lover. I love God, it's just people I can't stand. That can ease it, and that's where First John keeps writing. He writes to us, He that does not love whom he's seen, how can he prove he loves a God he has not seen? So Paul says, I thank God that you're increasing in your love. And may it be so for all of us. Then he says, I hear that you're faithful under pressure, perseverance in faithfulness. And uh, probably, as you know, people, uh, sometimes I know some trials some people are going through. We got a sister that's had to put a husband in uh, a care facility because... uh, Uh, attacks of dementia and other factors. And she said, it's like a living death to me. And we all want to relieve her. We've seen her through, it seems, a hundred tears. Oh, I wish God would heal her husband. But I'm watching her perseverance even though he hasn't been healed. I wish God would deliver this girl that we prayed for this morning and that her child would be safe and that she would be reconciled to her parents In the meantime, parents, persevere in loving God and loving her. Don't let the pressure make you cave in. God knows how much you can bear. And when the timing is over, he'll release you. And we will have gold where there would have been just old waste on top of the boiling metal. God will reflect himself in you. Sometimes he has to boil out of us what he doesn't like. It's painful. Character is always hard one. When you see Jesus in somebody, don't just say Jesus. You also ought to say, I wonder how much pressure they had to get through to get that virtue. Because God develops character under pressure. Now he goes and he wants to offer them hope in the midst of their suffering. And in the midst of that, the hope he offers them is, by the way, Jesus Christ is coming again. And when Jesus Christ comes again, he wants to tell them what will happen. He tells them two big words. One, there will be relief for the saints. Two, there'll be retribution for the unsaved. So he's going to bring relief for those who know God. We anticipate the coming of Christ. Now, let me just let you in on the theological things that uh, may not relate to whether your checkbook balances this week or not. But since I love theology, let me tell you, there's two views about the coming of the Lord here in chapter 1. And we'll see it in chapter 2. The majority of uh, theologians and Bible teachers, they say Christ is going to come. Boom. He's just, just going to come just like that. They don't believe there's going to be a rapture. They don't believe in this stuff of the church being caught away. They just say, we made that up with John Darby. And so they just say, Christ is going to come back. And they do believe in a second coming. And he comes, he resurrects all the dead, and he won't even necessarily bring a thousand-year reign. The majority of the church world don't believe there'll be a thousand-year reign. That's just poetic. 
They're wrong, but that's what they believe. Uh, because we take the Bible literally. Uh, there's another uh, view, and that is that the coming of Christ is seen in two parts. And that is, he's coming in the air, and he will snatch away the church. Don't even use rapture. Just say harpazo. And you tell everybody you know a little Greek. He's going to snatch away by force the church. First Thessalonians 4. Caught up. Caught away. Rapture in the Vulgate. Caught up. And then he's going to take a seven-year hiatus and bring that church back with him when he comes to the earth. And at the earth, so the first coming, the, what we call the rapture, no judgment, no pouring out of wrath, nothing but catching the believers out of the earth, resurrecting the dead in Christ, going to heaven. Comes back, and in that arrival back to the earth again is going to be a time of retribution and relief for those saints that are still on the earth be thousands of people saved during the tribulation. God's going to save 144,000 Jews just to kick it off and turn them into worldwide evangelists, be eunuchs for the kingdom of God. And he'll come then, and in that coming, there will be the ending of Armageddon. There will be blood. There will be judgment. The nations will be judged. There will be wrath. Uh, There will be people sentenced to hell. Satan will be bound for a thousand years. So we are in the camp that sees the future coming of Christ in two parts. Let me read you some contrast. When he comes again, he'll come only for his own in the rapture. When he comes the second time, he'll bring his own with him, and he'll deal with the earth. Um, first time, the rapture, he comes in the air. Second coming, second advent, he'll come to the earth. Zechariah says he puts his foot on the mount. Uh, He comes in the rapture to claim his bride, catches us up, starts the marriage supper of the Lamb. But then, when he comes back in Revelation 19, he comes back with his bride. He brings her with him. Uh, After the rapture, we believe a period of tribulation begins. After he comes back the second time to the earth, I'm probably have to give you these notes next week to not get you confused. He's going to start a thousand-year reign. So we see uh, in chapter 1 here, he's most likely talking about his coming back to the earth again because he's going to pour out judgment in this coming. And so he begins to tell them, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right, verse 5, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. That's a tough verse. I think what he's saying is, your suffering and your persecutions are all just in God's dealings. Because he said, those who entered his kingdom would undergo great suffering before they even got to go into it. So he said, God is being just with you. God is being fair. And if God allows you to suffer, as Peter said, suffering must begin at the household of faith. Well, It's going to be just when God deals with your enemies, as he's been just to allow you these persecutions and suffering. And so then he begins, the coming of Christ is comfort for a suffering church. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those 
who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. His coming will bring relief to a suffering people. It'll be relief at the rapture, whoever's suffering, and those tribulation saints when he comes the second time to the earth. It'll be relief. Relief from persecution. Relief from earthly trials. But he starts off by saying God is just. Uh, Today, such things as reprobation, retribution, and the justice of God must be toned down in a culture as ours because that makes God too barbaric. It makes God too uh, offensive. And you know, we are trying to sell God. We're trying to convince an unsaved world they need this God, and we must not tell anything about him that they wouldn't like or they might not receive him. So we invent the image of God we want. But he says, I will judge because I am a God that payday comes someday. I am a God of justice and I must exact judgment on rebellion, sin, and the persecution of my own people. God is just. Read with me. I don't like to do this too much, but I want you to see Romans 2. Please turn. I always have to get Romans in to keep you acquainted. Romans 2, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first to the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism, In chapter 2, he gives us seven standards of divine judgment. But men and women are storing up wrath. God has held off 2,000 years. You think of Christ. He will come back as the just judge. According to John 5, God the Father has committed all judgment to his Son. The white throne judgment, it will be Jesus Christ. The judgment seat of Christ, it will be Jesus Christ. The judgment of the nations, it will be Jesus Christ. Why? Because God the Son has been judged in a rigged court. He has gone to three Gentile courts, three Jewish courts, false witnesses, drummed up charges, no lawyer, tried in the middle of the night, broke every Sanhedrin Jewish 
precedent of law going because he knows what it is to be judged in a rigged court by men. He will come back and Jesus Christ, who we beat up, spit on, and sent back with five wounds to heaven, he will be the judge of every human being eventually. And he has been before the bar of human justice. And it was a lie, a fabrication, and we found a way to kill God and still keep the Sabbath. They had to get him on the tree before a Sabbath. You don't want to break the Sabbath when you're killing God. So he says, I will be the judge in the future. And notice what he will do to the wicked. He says, I will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. In verse 8, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now, some believe that do not know God is exclusively the Gentiles, that they have no idea, and that those who do not believe the gospel were the Jews who heard it. I don't think we have to do that. God categorizes the whole human race in two categories. They don't know God. Now, now that, that's, uh, you could start, all of a sudden start feeling uh, bad about those who've never heard. But you must know once again from Romans 1, the not knowing of God is a chosen volitional choice of the human race. They chose to suppress what could be known for God and invented substitutes for God, such as creeping creatures, reptiles, idols of wood and stone. He said in Hosea, you gave up your glory, Israel. You gave up the Shekinah. What did you give up? When you went to pagan idols, Israel, you gave up your God. And when you gave up your God, you gave up the glory of Israel, little tiny Israel, a speck among the nations. But the Shekinah dwelt among that people. The Ark of the Covenant was among them. Covenants were theirs. Abraham was theirs. Isaac was theirs. And they said, we want the calf of Samaria. We want to go and follow the ways of Jeroboam and leave the God of our fathers. And he said, oh, Israel, Ephraim, you're like a half-baked cake. You, you're like a, a dove that you want to run here, run. You gave up your greatest asset. You gave up your God. And the Gentile world joined. We'd rather worship a snake. We'd rather worship sex. We'd rather worship money. We'd rather worship a human being. And in chapter 2, there's another coming that we will worship as the earth. We will follow a satanic fabrication, and the whole earth will give their allegiance. But our God, we sold him out. And he said, I will come to judge those who've chosen not to know me. And the evidence they don't know me is... They have not obeyed the gospel. And the word obedience is nice here. It's akuo hupo. Hupo akuo. And akuo just meant acoustics, to hear something. But when they put the little uh, preposition with it, it meant to hear and not respond. So it became the word for disobey. And said, 
you, you heard the gospel, but you gave no heed to it. I don't need that stuff. That's for Salvation Army people on the street. I'm too sophisticated. I'm a Cal Berkeley uh, postgraduate student. You don't know God, and you have never bought the good news. You see, there's bad news and good news from God. The bad news is to die without the gospel, without knowing God, there will come death and judgment. And I find this in my own life, what Paul said. We smell like death to some people. We smell like life to another. To some, we preach Christ is coming. And you say, yippee, because it smells good. You're, you're prepared for it. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Our time today spent in God's Word to encourage you to bring you truth for today. If you have questions or comments about our time together, we would invite you to write to us. You can either visit our website and drop us an email, write to us via U.S. mail, or give us a call. Another way to reach out to us with your questions would be to simply record them on your voice memo app on your smartphone, and then email that audio to tftquestions at valleybible.org. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Our website, truthfortodayradio.org. And if you're writing to us, the address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. If you have questions about the ministry of Truth For Today and how we are funded to air on this radio station, we would love to talk with you. We are listener-supported, quite simply, and no gift is too small, no gift is too large. Whether it's a one-time gift or a monthly gift, it all goes back into the radio ministry, ensuring that it airs on this radio station. So would you consider that as you reach out to us here at Truth For Today? And then we invite you to come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Most high. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.